Welcome to New City Church's podcast. We're a small non-denominational church in Nashville, Tennessee, practicing the way of Jesus together. For more information on who we are, what we do, and some resources for your faith, you can check out newcitynash.com. But we hope you enjoy this message and that it blesses you. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Could you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much that you've allowed us to gather together this morning, Lord. Um, We're so grateful that the yoke that you offer us is light, Lord that we know that we can trust you, Lord. Thank you so much. As Sarah brings the word today, I pray that we'd be attentive and ready to hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you all. Good morning, church. Nice to see each and every one of you. Um, Let me get my stopwatch going so we don't, like, stay here all day. Um, So I'm Sarah Collier, if you haven't if we have not met one another, I think I know most folks in the room, um, but I'm an elder here at New City, and um, with the blessed arrival that is Reed, I get the opportunity to bring the word uh, this morning. So I'm going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31, um, entitled The Wisdom of God. I don't have a title for my talk this morning because um, admittedly I wrote it at 4 o'clock this morning. Uh, So it's real hot off the press, you know. Um, I'm also not a professional at this whatsoever. Uh, So grace is asked in abundance. Okay, cool. Um, I did want to start today with confession, given that we are a church family and some vulnerability. Um, So one sin that I have battled practically my entire life, as long as I can remember, is the the desire for perfection. And so mix that, entangle that, my past and my present, likely my future, um, mixed with my, you know, mild tendency toward anxiety, it is quite the combination, right? I want to be a high achiever, but I'm also afraid to fail always. If it's not, if I don't think I can give enough or do enough or it's the right combination, I'm not even going to start. It's going to be a fault, like a flat stop for me. And admittedly, this, this talk, this message has been a burden for me. Um, it's a scripture I picked out. <laughs> it's a date I selected. Um, and teaching is part of who I'm like designed to be. It's my vocational call, not only from my career perspective, but it's just who I am. And so um, I've had a really challenging time starting this message. And um, so I hope you like it. <laughs> Because it's been a little bit of a squeeze, you know, to to put together. But um, the thing that I found so amazing and faithful, like as I've been wrestling with this um, 
you know, this, this message uh, for today was how the Holy Spirit had kind of worked on my heart and kind of trimmed away some of those walls of fear that I threw up um, so that I can ground my anxious thoughts and idolatry um, of perfection. And I think that there's a really good message in the text that we're going to dive in today about like how to address some of that, but within the context of sharing the good news. Um, I'm big on evangelism. It's a thing that I think about and weave into the story often. So um, that's where we're headed. So let's read. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching, amen, to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose these things despite despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. So for context, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. This is probably not his first letter, but it is what we call the first letter to the Corinthians. Corinth was this cosmopolitan city. It's a real happening place. Um, there was a port, and so lots of trade and commercial activity was happening there. There was a mixture of cultures and religions. And, and as a proxy, um, there were a lot of cultural influences that uh, weighed heavily on the local church. And so when Paul hears about these issues, he's writing this letter to address, okay? I find this deeply encouraging because the pagan influences and the... The pagan influences and the temples that were there um, really provided a squeeze or a pressure for the church that was attempting to grow, the, you know, based on the message of Jesus. And so I think this is a perfect letter of encouragement to us um, as we look at the parallels of where we are in society as Christians, as believers walking in faith in Jesus. A lot of the issues that we're facing the Corinthians are not uncommon to what we're experiencing today. So I think we have a lot to learn about what it means to share the good news in such an environment. So there are three observations I want to offer you about sharing the gospel with others in the context of this first letter from the Corinthians. 
Number one, following Jesus does not make sense in this world. It just doesn't make sense. If we step back and evaluate the core truth of our faith, that there was a man in the Middle East who died on a cross, rose again three days later, it sounds wild. And through faith in that event, in that person, we are made right and have a relationship with God the creator. It's kind of interesting to step out of our, you know, our own thinking and hear what that has to say. Have you ever played that game like if an alien landed on planet Earth and, and asked you what Jimmy John's was? Like, what would you say? How would you describe Jimmy John's? Like, not to equate the gospel with Jimmy John's by any means. But you know what I'm saying? Like, if you start to think about how challenging it is to describe what we place our faith in, the core fabric of our faith, kind of wild stuff. So verse 18 says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are saved know it is the very power of God. Later in verse 27 and 28, God chose the things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. So knowing the values of the audience to whom he is writing, Paul is playing on this dynamic of wisdom and this eloquent turn of phrase, which is a value, an asset value of Corinth at the time. His audience would have been familiar with public debaters and um, lawyers and other um, orators who would be out there on streets in amphitheaters entertaining the masses by these arguments that were being um, philosophically debated. The Greeks were very heavy into this. N.T. Wright's commentary on this uh, passage describes the news of Jesus as madness to the Greek audience, and the people of Jewish influence would have been just totally insulted and think that Jesus dying on the cross and being the Messiah was scandalous, period. What a welcoming community to bring the good news, right? Yet, Paul boldly claimed the power of the cross in such unwelcome circumstances, and I think we can draw encouragement from such a thing. God empowered this powerless symbol, a cross, pieces of wood from a tree, as a, and, and as a form of medieval torture to make a way for people to be reconnected with him in relationship and usher in this age of grace in Jesus, through Jesus' resurrection. Later, in ver or maybe upper, in verse 23 from where we last landed, so when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. The ESV translation, this is all NLT, but the ESV translation uses the phrase a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. Absolute absurdity from the get-go. How do you start a conversation with such a non-starter posture, right? Very helpful to think about because I think it's very similar today. As David Platt puts it, <clears throat> it's those whom God and his grace are calling to himself who soften their hearts towards him and see the cross, in the cross, the love of God. The cross becomes not a stumbling block and not a picture of ridiculous folly. It becomes the power of God and the wisdom of God. People's eyes are open to see this is the greatest news in the world. So in other words, it is the spirit of God through us that does the work. 
in my own walk, in my own life of leading others to Jesus, I find that my role is just showing up and being willing to get the prompt, willing to feel the nudge, and willing to say something when called to do so. So for this first point, in summary, the gospel will not make sense, and that's so important to know from the get-go. It puts you in a completely different posture of approaching the subject at all with another human being. And it will not be received without the transforming power of God's grace. For some wild reason, he invites us to be a part of the story by faithfully sharing our own transformed story. And his grace also extends to what to say, when to say it, where to say it, um, and all of the possible barriers and rationales that we could come up with to justify why we're not going to say it at all. So lean in. Number two, snares are present to entangle people and attempt to distract them from God's plan. So just like knowing that challenges will come with receiving, know that there are traps coming when you're in the posture to share God's, the good news. So we can find a couple examples in this letter. I'm not going to go too far into this because Israel is actually going to bring a message on unity and disunity. But disunity among church members is seen just shortly above where our passage begins. Paul heard that church members were getting a little grumpy and faction-y based on who baptized them. And we sit here, and maybe I'm just judgmental, and I'm thinking, wow, that's so silly. But I wonder, if we sit and take a humble look at oneself, we find ourselves in a very similar accusing situation. You know, are we creating unreasonable factions as a distraction? So that, paired with what we're, we see in verse 20, the inflated view of self or valuing self-importance. N.T. Wright clarifies that at this time, this day and age in Corinth, being a somebody, somebody famous, somebody well-known, somebody politically swayed, somebody well-funded either no, by nobility or just, you know, making their way in the world today, um, that was a cherished value. Everybody wanted to align with that celebrity status. I don't know what your highlight reels look like on social media, and now they will because it's all listening. But mine has been full of Taylor Swift era concert. I didn't go. I didn't get tickets. I didn't even try. But that's all I'm seeing, right? Um, so this prized social status, right? But what do we see here in verse 26? We see God transformed those dear brothers and sisters who were unwise in the world's eyes, not powerful, not wealthy. These nobodies were transformed into somebodies in God's kingdom. And I would argue this is entirely consistent with his character. Um, and I'll give you some examples there in just a moment. But the reality is that we are all made equal by the cross. And I'm wondering asking to yourself, do we believe that's true? When we, rely, when we use the phrase, my dear brothers and sisters, or my brother or sister in Christ, do we believe that? And if we believe that, do we act in that belief? So is it really different now from Corinth? 
Are cultural issues and social statuses distracting the local church from the powerful unity afforded by the cross? Is our individual pursuit of status, fame, self-importance distracting us from the goal? If so, I invite you to own that, repent of that, name it, call it, and resource around it. And could the issues that we in the church are facing our present day being an, be an intentional spiritual wedge to bring about, about chaos and disunity? The reality is, is that God makes order out of chaos. That's what his business is, perfect order out of imperfect chaos. And I don't know what your life is looking like, but my life is chaos. Always. I'm living out of laundry baskets, y'all. You know what I'm saying? And maybe that's just what we do now. I don't know. But think about how these distractions and snares from us corporately as a church family and also the individual burden that we all bear in that snares to distract us away from God's path. Finally, number three, God's invitation is for all. Verse 24 says, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, that's the key. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And, excuse me, God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. So, access to God. The God of the universe is made possible to all, doesn't matter who you are, Jews or Gentiles, through Christ Jesus. We see this in Galatians 3.26 through 28. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I know that's what I just said. And all, just kidding, sorry. And all that have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes from the laundry basket. And there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's reference back to the snares to distract from God's plan, right? What could we do? What could the church do if we all banded together and dropped whatever qualms that we had, differences that we had, focusing on the one thing that is the common equalizer, the cross. Also, God invites all people, but particularly ordinary people, to participate in his great redemptive plan. I'm thinking Abraham, Jacob, Moses, fishermen, and rehabilitated tax collectors as Jesus' closest apprentice, apprentices, women who served alongside Jesus throughout his ministry and sustaining leaders in the early church, and us. You, sitting right here in the Antioch Community Center at New City Church today. Today. We are all called and invited into this redemptive plan, right? Our, the departing message of Jesus from Matthew 28, 18 through 20 tells us this. In 19, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What, may I ask, enables ordinary and flawed people to step into these spaces? And what enables followers of Jesus in the right now of the United States and worldwide today? Only the power of God, as displayed by the cross per our text today. It is the power of God that captivates the human hearts that are broken. And I think as a perfectionist, anxiety-bent individual, that takes a lot of pressure off of me. And I invite you into some of that liberation if that is also your bent. 
All God is asking for us to do is trust, obey, and show up. So don't underestimate what God is actively doing or can do. Hearts are continuously captivated um, by God's grace through his power. And lives are being transformed. Not eloquent human speech, clever debate, as we see in verse 21. Since God, in his wisdom, saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, and he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is literally foolish people like me sharing the solution to broken hearts and the deep longings to understand your place in the, this world is found in relationship, restored relationship with your creator God through Christ Jesus. And that is made possible through the power of the cross. Last piece around God's invitation. He has invited you. He has united you with Christ Jesus, says verse 30. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom himself, him itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only in the Lord, or about the Lord. So my invitation is to retune your perspective and share your life with other people. Sometimes the best way to share the love of Jesus is just by being you, how he has wired you to be, your passions, your talents, your gifts, your neighborhood, your apartment complex, your workplace, your parents. But the reality is, is we need to place our, the ownership of the heart mending in the right hands. It's not the work, it's not our work to do. And so it's also kind of nice because when it doesn't work out or it feels super awkward or the coffee date gets canceled or whatever, try again. Step into that invitation when it comes along. So my challenge is for you or us. What is keeping you back from sharing the good news of Jesus with your loved ones, neighbors, coworkers, and friends? It doesn't always mean presenting the gospel verbally. It's not always the Romans road if that's how you were trained as a child. I know that's very popular. I was not trained in any canonical faith tradition, so um, that's a little foreign for me. But then I ask, do one of these discussion points encourage you to confess your fears, your anxieties, your hesitations, and instead empower your actions through the Holy Spirit? When we have time in a moment, and I'll invite the um, I'll invite Carly and Tucker to come back up. I want you to think on these things, ponder them. And then last, when you have nothing else, pray. Pray for people who don't know Jesus or reject Jesus. Or if you find yourself in either of those camps, not knowing Jesus or presently rejecting Jesus or some part of you rejecting Jesus, just know that God's grace is powerful enough to soften even the hardest hearts. And so will you pray with me? Good and gracious God, thank you for this challenge. The challenge for me of this week of pulling these thoughts together and the challenges that you have outlined in your scripture this morning. Lord, I just offer praise, intercession for the people who are here, the people in our spheres of influence. For your power to just manifest itself 
in exactly the way that you plan for it to. Allow us to be instruments of your redemptive plan as you've invited us and give us the boldness when it feels shaky. Fill our cup when it feels empty. And as you say in Matthew, that your burden, the yoke, is light. So Lord, let us feel that lightness as we partner with you boldly in your great commission. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.